whistleblower report exposing lies deceptions and all that has assaulted our way of life we must take back our freedom and live as god designed in a free america that honors our constitution and our creator our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report, and this is the legal segment. This is Dr. Lee for America with our regular legal segment where we are bringing you information to help you better protect your human and civil rights secured by law, which, as we've all seen, we're having a harder time defending when all of our regulatory agencies seem to have become the perpetrators of violating the law. And we have three attorneys here today bringing explosive new information on this front that we had not exposed before because now we have a whistleblower client of James Welch, an attorney in Pennsylvania, who has a whistleblower inside the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission who has revealed some stunning information about collusion at the highest levels. And we will be talking more with James Welch about his client and the abuses going on there. And then Rachel Rodriguez in Florida as a number of EEOC clients as well. And, as, and she also has her case against Disney on behalf of a number of employees whose human rights were violated. And Rachel Rodriguez has FOIA information responses that are also shocking. And all Americans need to understand what is going on. Our segment today is called The Regulators Are the Perpetrators Now. And that phrase comes from our own Warner Mendenhall, Mendenhall Law Firm, which practices nationally in multiple federal courts, and he has offices in Ohio and Boston, Massachusetts. Warner Mendenhall has also been on the Legal Advisory Council for Truth for Health Foundation, and the foundation has retained him on a number of litigation efforts to defend human and civil rights that are ongoing. So, Warner, I'd like to ask you to start off the show today and explain for our listeners to help them understand the difference between the EEOC, which is a federal agency, and the various state agencies that work together with the EEOC to regulate employee and and human rights at the state level. Thank you, Dr. Vliet. The the EEOC is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and that's a federal agency that operates nationally. 
and it enforces specifically federal laws that prohibit dis discrimination based on the things I think most people know, race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability, uh, genetic information. And I think the limit is 15 employees or more uh, to be covered by the EEOC. Uh, and, and you guys correct me if I mess up on any, any specific fact. Um, then there are also state civil rights agencies. Um, Ohio has the Ohio Civil Rights Commission, for example, and Jim will be talking about the Pennsylvania Human Rights Commission. And those are very interesting to look at as employment lawyers because often they have actually got more extensive rights um, you know, for example, California. I mean, let's talk about a, a government and a location where things have gone really wrong. But California has very strong privacy protections, uh, very strong prote protections for religious liberty. And we actually are using those in one of our cases that I think we've discussed before against the regents of the University of California for a quarter million of their employees. So we are, we are very specifically targeting California to force that state to, not, to stop being hypocritical uh, in terms of enforcing its constitutional uh, and human rights. So there are differences and, and we make decisions. It just depends on the client. Uh, you know, generally in federal court, you do get attorney fees, um, uh, but, but you are you know, limited to these federal uh, laws. Uh, though you can have, I shouldn't say limited, because you can have ancillary state law claims in those federal cases. Um, but there are time limits in federal court, and often that's another thing. The state court, sometimes there's longer time frames. So in Ohio, for example, we have up to two years to bring those cases. So somebody who may have missed all the federal deadlines uh, can come in and we still can vindicate their rights through state court. So it's you really just have to evaluate the client and balance it. Uh, but that's gen very generally uh, the system as it's set up. And, and Rachel and Jim, if you want to add anything to that, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> well, before we bring them in, I just want to comment that I have personally with the foundation, we have a number of legal grant recipients who have had EEOC cases filed and the investigators recommended that they be pursued. And then the EEOC decided not to pursue it. And so that goes right to the very point that James Welch has encountered with his client related to. So I, I'm just, I, I'm not surprised. We've seen it with the FDA. We've seen it with the FAA. And we've seen it with the European and UK medical regulators that the regulators are refusing to follow their duties under the law but for which they were set up. So, Mr. Welch, would you tell us? Oh, sorry, Warner. Well, I just had I just had one more thing to say. It kind of segues into some of the conversations we've been having. I mean, there is a real lack of attorneys uh, who are doing this work nationwide. And, and so we, the individual who's faced discrimination really at this point has a huge need to rely on these agencies at state and federal levels to act correctly and to pursue these claims because the, there just are not attorneys out here. And I think I, I've actually mentioned this to you before. I had one very well-known employment law attorney uh, say that, that uh, she was not taking cases for those type of people. 
And I mean, that sounded to me That's like, awful. Out of the, yeah, it sounded like something out of the 60s when uh, an attorney would say, well, those black people, we're not taking those cases. Uh you know, that's that it, it sounded very similar to me. And I don't think that this particular attorney recognized the parallels, uh, you know, just because people are religious or conservative in their political uh, viewpoints doesn't mean they don't deserve uh, representation. Well, so, it's like the doctors in my profession saying, well, I'm firing you as a patient because you're not vaccinated. And this that's gross discrimination. We didn't do that in the AIDS era. So. I, yes, you're right. All the way around, it's it's appalling what is happening. So that segues into James Welch and his client and his whistleblower and what his whistleblower is. So hang on, everybody. This is a big deal. Uh, Dr. Valit, thank you very much for having me on your show. Um, I, I'd like to start off by saying that that you could not have come up with a better name for this segment. Um, at least for my experience here in Pennsylvania, I represent roughly 100 people, <clears throat> excuse me, who had valid religious and or medical exemptions denied. Um, and in Pennsylvania, we are required, as we are in most states, I assume, to exhaust our administrative remedies prior to filing a case in federal court. So what we do here is we file either with the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission or the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission or both. You can do what's called dual filing if you want. And then one of those agencies, depending upon who gets to the file first, will take the lead and undertake their investigation. So like I said, I have probably a hundred of these cases that I filed with the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commissions based upon a vaccine mandate that our local transit authority put in place uh, beginning in uh, March of 2022. Um, I thought that we had very, very, very strong cases from talking to some of the intake investigators. They were quite certain that my cases would make it to the mediation stage. And what ended up occurring was I all of a sudden started receiving these, these form letters from the head of the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission that said that my cases didn't have probable cause and were being summarily dismissed. And I started thinking, what am I missing? You know, I'm making claims that, that we had a valid religious exemption that was recognized as being sincerely held. The employer in the case never undertook any reasonable accommodation conversation with the employees, but rather simply said, your request for an exemption is denied because it's a hardship on us. So, you know, being the persistent old man that I am, um, I don't take no for an answer. Um, I started calling people at the Human Relations Commission saying, what am I missing? You know, what, what can I do differently? And I'm, I'm told by their chief legal counsel, by their appeals department, um, you know, just follow the procedure that's outlined in the statute. So I start doing freedom of information requests and I start getting files back on these people 
And all that is in those files are the complaint that I filed and a little one sentence note from an investigator that's redacted. Which, which is a violation of FOIA, correct? Well, they can, they can claim that there is privilege to certain things. Um, and, and again, we're, we're, we're still fighting that battle also. But what had occurred, um, because once, once something is kicked out of the Human Relations Commission, I only have so many days to, to request a preliminary hearing, which is kind of the appeal process within the Human Relations Commission. So, you know, I'm literally scrambling because I've got, you know, a hundred of these cases. Um, so I'm filing briefs and, and, and attaching documents uh, because I was told when I filed my initial complaint that I was not supposed to attach any of the documents that showed, you know, my valid religious exemption, that showed the, the, the blank denial that I received. Uh, from from the employer, you know, as to the initial vaccination exemption request. Um, so one day out of the blue, my phone rings and it is somebody from within the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission that just wanted to call me to thank me for undertaking all that I'm doing for these poor people that are getting fired from our local transit authority. And, and it it's the... the um, Pittsburgh Regional Transit Authority, um, you know, in case anybody doesn't know or, or um, you know, it's, it's now a matter in federal court, so I'm not worried about divulging anything. But so this this person and I struck up a friendship and I was explaining to him or her um, the problems that I was having. So they began doing kind of an internal uh, investigation for me to find out what was going on. Well, lo and behold, I got an email one day and within that email was a confidential uh, document that outlined various um, coding that was going to be put in whenever these cases came in. And by the way, I had attended multiple uh, human relations commission meetings and asked if there was a procedure in place why my uh, where my cases were being summarily dismissed and I was told that there was no such procedure and that you know my case would rise or fall on its merits. So I received this document and it is it is in dated September, or I'm sorry, August the 29th of 2022, and it's marked a confidential internal document, and it lists three different classifications based upon green, yellow, or red. And what I came to find out was that my cases were being coded green, which typically green means go. So I thought, well, that's got to be a great thing. Well, it means just the opposite before our Human Relations Commission. Um, what, what it means is that my case is summarily dismissed. Somebody has determined that it is frivolous and that they are not even going to require the employer to respond to it. They are not going to require them to answer it. In fact, they are going to send a letter to the employer saying, don't worry about this case. We've looked at it. It's frivolous. You don't even have to file any type of a response. So 
armed with that information, I went back to the Human Relations Commission and I was again told that, that no such procedure exists within the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission. So I talked to my whistleblower a little bit more after he provides me this document and he said, I just had a case that I dealt with where it was a private employer and I think you should call this attorney. He is in Harrisburg and perhaps he will give you a copy of the complaint that he filed. So I spoke with the attorney in Harrisburg. He sent me a copy of the complaint. I then resubmitted my complaints using the exact same wording that he used, making the exact same allegations, which by the way, were, were substantially similar anyway. Um, and they were still coming back as being denied for lacking probable cause. So, you know, what I've learned from my whistleblower is that because the employer that I'm going after is a quasi-governmental agency, they are receiving preferential treatment and the cases are being dismissed um, without any type of investigation whatsoever. And when I first started filing my appeals to these denials, I provided the, the investigators and the appeal board with, I believe, a letter with 13 bullet points that would lead them right down the primrose path to show that this employer was committing blatant um, violations of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 for um, not recognizing somebody's religious exemption to a vaccine mandate or violating the ADA because there was somebody had a valid medical exemption and um, they, they never ever did a thing. So eventually it got to the point where I was told by my whistleblower that they are not going to do anything on these cases. You need to get them out of here. And so what I've learned is that the regulators are the perpetrators the, the, the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission is, is committing discrimination against the people that they are supposed to be enforcing anti-discrimination laws for. You're um, right. I, this is something we are seeing. I have heard exactly the same language that you were told for our military members that we do a lot of work with the military people that whose rights have been abused, uh, the healthcare workers, every, every institution that we have been coming in contact with representing the public from this foundation, every single one of those agencies is using exactly the same language, hospital employees, and, military. And what I, what I, yeah. Dr. Vli, what I've, what I've found is that you know, with, with the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission dismissing these cases and saying basically that they are lacking probable cause or without merit, um, it's emboldening the employers to just take a more um, uh, uh, rigid stance. Absolutely. want to get these cases resolved. And I know Rachel Rodriguez in Florida has some similar examples to bring up. Rachel, what have you uncovered with, because you have powerful information from your FOIA request. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Bleet. And um, I, I, I too love this, sec uh, this segment. I think this is very important information. Um, I, 
I'll start with saying something about our state FIPA. This is the Florida Commission on Human Relations, FCHR. It turns out that in our state law, um, so to piggyback what, what Jim is saying um, about when regulators become perpetrators, here in Florida, our agency is a gatekeeper. If they do not find cause for your case, you may not bring the claims to court. So it's it's a real it's it's a very serious matter, and the the actual Civil Rights Act for Florida is so convoluted. I believe that there's a serious claim here for somebody enterprising uh, to to make sure that the law is reviewed. Unfortunately, though, that's been done, and apparently, the Florida Supreme Court has found that conflicting information in the statute about whether or not you have the right to go to court or the right to a jury trial or not is not otherwise violated because there's a administrative uh, appeals process. But that just piggybacks onto this. Thankfully in the EEOC, even though it is becoming a perpetrator as well, the way that the, the uh, statutory provisions and the regulations operate. When you get a right to sue letter, it doesn't matter particularly, at least from the civilian side of things, from the private employer side. It doesn't matter if the EEOC finds no cause, you are allowed, it's a right to sue letter, you're allowed to go to the court and bring your claims. I, I think it matters in terms of what you just said, which is that it emboldens the employers. Uh, but in terms of gatekeeping function, the EEOC does not do that in the private sector. I, I will admit that I'm not as familiar with uh, military and government, particularly federal government EEOC proceedings. Um, but what I did find, and this is what you referenced, what I did find is we have a case that um, we were aware because the, the investigator on the case indicated to my client, you have, you know, I have found cause for discrimination here. Um, in fact, I think that this is a case that could be enforceable by the EEOC. And this is a proceed, this is a, a something that's very valuable to claimants, to employees, because many of them can't afford necessarily full-blown litigation in the federal court. And the EEOC going to bat for them and and requesting conciliation, requesting that the the employer um, mediate and review the the claims, or going the extra step to actually enforce the case against the employer, uh, can be a very powerful thing. Um, in any event, here we had that. Um, I actually um, I didn't speak to this investigator on this case. I was advising the client as opposed to a counsel of record. But um, this is a conscientious individual. I've spoken to him about other matters and I think he knows his stuff. He found cause. He explained there in a very detailed report to his superior. This is why I think this case has merit. Um, not on our claims for the perceived as disabled under the ADA, but under um, Title VII religious discrimination. And then it went, and we know this because this is what the FOIA said. We did not know this in real time as it was happening last year. But sometime around, oh, I have the emails here. I think it was sometime around September um, the case, August, August, the case ends up going to a department in the EEOC that 
was not there before, and it is called the COVID Vaccine Review Team Headquarters. Something that I had not told you or Warner before, um, I just found out this weekend because I have another case that I fully expected to go to what I, to this department, which I affectionately call the COVID mandate case graveyard at the EEOC. Um, but for some reason, it appears that her case went to this headquarters, has come back and may have been approved. So we've got some interesting information here. One thing that I, I did not get a chance to speak to that investigator, and I will hopefully tomorrow, but from what my client says, having spoken to him, this, this department, the COVID vaccine review team headquarters is in Washington, DC. Now that's not entirely surprising given that it's the EEOC, but you have to understand my clients are gonna be operating out of the Tampa and the Miami offices of the EEOC for the most part. So instead their case, because it's regarding a COVID mandate has to go to Washington, DC. Well, it seems like you're, I mean, this, this seems like gross discrimination right off the bat that they're throwing him into that pot and that separate division without even looking at the merits of the case. That's exactly what I would think. I mean, it's it's just, I mean, the, the name of the department is the COVID vaccine review team headquarters. You know, it, it would seem that this is uh, just because that's the nature of it. These these cases have to go to this headquarters. But the, the, the sum total of this particular instance, and we do have for your viewers, Dr. Valida, I've, I've sent you the, the FOIA results. Um, we, we have here that they were told it had to go to headquarters. Um, and then within, let's say that was July and August, then in March of this year, inexplicably, we got a response back from the EEOC that said, there's no cause here, I'm sorry, here's your right to sue, good luck. And then when we FOIA'd, and you'll see this, everything that relates to the reasoning behind the EEOC's determination of no cause, despite the investigator's review. So this is in contrast to that. Um, everything has been redacted out. So this, and, and I will read one more thing. I know we're, we're coming up to break here, but um, when an individual from the EEOC office indicated, let's see, this was, this was, okay. There was actually a statement made. Thank goodness this a letter of determination did not go out yet in this case. Well, that is just I find it shocking, but not surprising. And I I really I think America and all of our listeners here and around the world need to understand the enormity of the corruption and destruction of our rule of law, when the regulators in medicine, in pharmaceuticals, in employment, uh, it's just everywhere. It is truly shocking. And America, this is why the foundation, Truth for Health Foundation, is bringing you these whistleblower reports with experts who are doing their best to defend the core human and civil rights secured under our constitution and even experienced attorneys are having difficulty 
going up against this massive collusion and corruption with our own government agencies that we are paying our hard-earned tax dollars to support. It comes down to we, the people, must come together and hold our elected officials accountable. We will be back with the second half of the Whistleblower Report in just a moment. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. And for all of our Whistleblower Reports, go to www.whistleblowerreports.org and listen to us every day on America Out Loud at 12 noon and 12 midnight Eastern time. We will be right back after the break. It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Link for America with three attorneys, very experienced, dedicated attorneys fighting for your rights. Warner Mendenhall, James Welch in Pennsylvania, and Rachel Rodriguez in Florida. All have worked tirelessly to defend employees and citizens in many areas of the law whose rights have been abused under the COVID tyranny and our agencies becoming weaponized against us, against we the people. It's just an egregious and very alarming situation. So Rachel, you were talking about things in Florida right before the break. Warner, what are your comments with listening to what both Jim Welch in Pennsylvania and Rachel Rodriguez in Florida have brought to light at the state level and what they are experiencing? How does that fit with what you've been dealing with 
because you've sued for on behalf of many employees to different types of employers. Well, I, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many, this is jaw dropping information, first of all. I, I do not, I mean, this deserves national press attention as to what's happened. This is so outside of bounds. I can't, I, as a lawyer, I can't even tell you how this makes me feel. It is, it's just, it's complete disgust as a lawyer uh, at how these agencies have behaved. I, I have, uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, in the fact, and I, and I do want to point out something else that we've emphasized on your show over and over, Dr. Bleep, there are so many patriots in all these agencies, you know, so despite the fact that we're, we are definitely have, we have an uphill battle, you know, uh, boy, we have patriots everywhere through, sprinkled throughout our government. A lot of people get into government service because they are patriotic. They love America. They want to see, see it succeed. They believe in our constitutions at the state and federal level. And, and they are dedicated to their job. So I want to really, you know, emphasize that because I don't, you know, I criticize government so much, but, I, I, but we depend on our great public servants who are still there and have not, some of them, you know, I mean, a lot of them have been pushed out, uh, particularly we've seen that in the military, but uh, there's a lot of them still there. And I thank God for the whistleblower who talked to Jim and brought this forward. Um, you know, I do, in his case, and I, I, I guess I would like to talk about that for a minute, you know, there is injunctive relief available against the state. Uh, and, you know, we may not be able to sue for, you know, damages. They've got that kind of immunity, but there may be a type of injunction that can be brought in this situation. Um, so that's, I, I mean, that's just a thought. It's not fleshed out at all. It's sort of off the cuff. But I have looked for alternatives because, I see a lot of situations where you can't sue, but you could still bring injunctive cases um, that you know, that force them to do their job or stop, uh, you know, doing this illegal discrimination at least going forward. So I think that's something we ought to look at. Maybe get some attorneys to talk about it because these are really you guys both. These are really critical uh, critical cases. I think the same thing is true with the federal agency. I think we could go for injunctive relief. Uh, I'd want to think that through a little bit more. I'm, I'm not, you know, this is not a fleshed out idea, but uh, we can certainly get a group together to discuss this and we should do so very soon. Well, and let's look at whether or not the foundation's medical freedom legal defense program can be of any assistance to consider coming in on behalf of the broader public as filing for injunctive relief. If that's something that fits, we can certainly discuss that. But the other, the other aspect of this related to that very issue is the fact that this is cutting across every sector of our economy, every private and state and federal and military employees are all experiencing this massive abuse. Now contrast that with what this what the Supreme Court just ruled that states must now use race as a criteria for congressional redistricting guidelines in total violation of all of the civil rights movements for my entire adult life. So here, 
they are violating the Civil Rights Act of 1964 in what Rachel and, and Jim have brought out and what you've experienced, Warner. And then the Supreme Court rules that states have to now go back and use race as a criteria. This is appalling. I, I'd like for you lawyers to talk about this. I was shocked with that ruling. Well, I, I wanted to comment briefly on something that Rachel had said and, and that Warner had said, if that's okay. Um, and that is, you know, we are really right now um, a minority of lawyers that are willing to take on these cases. And we rely upon our state and federal agencies to help us to at least do some basic investigation and basic discovery that will allow us to better um, hone our position to represent the people that they are supposed to be helping when in actuality they are hurting. Um, you know, and as I said earlier, you know, when I did my freedom of information request and I discovered all of this stuff through my whistleblower, I, I was I was shocked and appalled at what was happening. You know, not only were they not doing their job and doing a basic investigation on a complaint that is so full of merit, it, it, it's beyond reasonable doubt, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, the cases are so strong. People from the EEOC that were the investigators that looked at some of my cases said, Jim, I've never seen a stronger case for religious discrimination. This case should go immediately through the system and into mediation and get resolved. And those same cases, I then get letters back saying, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. There's no probable cause. Move on. Go to federal court. So, you know, they're, they're literally tying our hands um, and not doing their job, which makes it even harder on us, um, because I don't know many of us that are doing this type of work for these types of people these days. Um, so that was that was my comment on that. I, I, I just felt like I needed to chime in and let Rachel know that that, you know, we, too, were relying upon these agencies to do their job. Well, and, and physicians are running into the same problem, Jim. There are so few physicians in my profession that are standing up for patients' rights, that are standing up and honestly informing people of the risk of the COVID shots and the lack of data and the fact that there are rising complications. It's I, Lawyers yeah, are not Lee, standing I, up. Neither are doctors. I have a whistle. I have a whistleblower in the medical profession also that uh, was on the COVID response team for the biggest hospital in Western Pennsylvania, and he he has been working with me um, to formulate my you know my class action lawsuit against this employer. Um, because once I, you know, once I realized that I was getting absolutely no help from the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission or the EEOC, um, I went ahead and filed my class action lawsuit here in the Western District of Pennsylvania, which has a hundred has a hundred plaintiffs right now, but could have, 
as high as 700 plaintiffs if the court allows me to expand my class to include all of those people who made an objection to the vaccination, but yet, you know, didn't pursue something at the administrative level because they either didn't know that they had an obligation to do that or they missed their deadline, you know, or their time frame for doing so. Um, but, but, you know, luckily what I have found is that there are, there are at least a few doctors out there who are willing to stand up and talk against the COVID-19 vaccination and how it literally now makes you more susceptible to getting it or contracting it if you got the vaccination as opposed to not getting vaccinated. So Absolutely. Yeah. There are too few of us who've been doing that, but I'm glad you have a whistleblower. And we actually have a lot of medical people on our team that can provide a lot of information for what you're dealing with there. And Warner knows because we've been working on a number of cases together. Other comments, Warner and Rachel. Yeah, let me let me jump in real quick. I mean, first of all, your whistleblower doctor or whoever at the hospital. Uh, let's talk. Uh, let's talk some more about what what potential causes of action. You know, we focus on Federal False Claims Act. Uh, we found that the COVID protocols are being applied in such a way. You know, we, we killer killer protocols really, especially with remdesivir. So I'd like to talk to you about that at some point. Um, the other thing, I Rachel. Your, I, I, you correct me if I've got things wrong. I was actually sitting here scrolling through the your the FOIA response because I was trying to find the phrase some of the phrases in there. But the amazing thing about what happened with your client is they found probable cause and we're going to go ahead and pursue the case. And then it got overridden by DC. That's right. That that's exactly right. that's how I read it. And and I was hoping that for this segment. I would have a little bit more information because of my other client's case. Um, fairly different facts, both uh, religious, predominantly religious exemption based. I mean, there's some other pieces there, um, and and you know, COVID mandate. But when I found out from my other client that she had gotten a response, I got a call from. I am counsel of record in that case. And I also got a call from the investigator. And when she and I spoke this weekend, we're actually at the point, as I understand it, where we're talking about damages and the EEOC is going to pursue. And I'm, I'm asking myself, he mentioned DC, he mentioned headquarters. Well, I got to run this up through headquarters. I think he was talking about that department and I want to find out from him, why is this case different? What is it that they're looking for? If I can get some information from this investigator about what they're looking for, I will say a couple of things that I know between the two cases. Um, one is that her beliefs are very, I'll say idiosyncratic. I, by, by that, I just mean they're syncretistic beliefs. They're not um, based in in the doctrines, the prominent doctrines of particular beliefs. And um, under the law, those are absolutely protected, um, but it's different than my other client whose, uh, whose position is far more of what I think we would consider evangelical Christian, biblically based uh, belief system. 
So that could be an equal protection issue. That could be a religious discrimination within the EEOC based on specific beliefs. But I got to find out. The other thing, though, is her case, she was 100 uh, percent um, remote from her job. Her job was based in Puerto Rico, but she was here because of the hurricanes in Puerto Rico. So there was no way she was going into any offices and they were still denying her any accommodation. And obviously that's just as bizarre and absurd as everything else going on. Um, And in his case, he was in an assisted living facility. But the distinction there is that he was the individual with the license in the state of Florida. That in other words, where, where the regulators would come and ask questions, he was on deck. It was his license at stake on behalf of that entire facility. And um, it was not a facility that was under CMS regulations. And he was also, as um, I want to say, he was the deputy executive director. I've got to look at his, his uh, title again. But he was the individual who designed, implemented, and made sure they were properly enforced all COVID pandemic era policies. So you know, there's there are sufficient facts in both cases that I think both should have been found for merit. So I'm going to try to dig in and find out why it sounds like one of them made it past the the D.C. Um, quite obviously political review and why the other did not. And I wanted to, to uh, mention one other thing while we're on this this segment, which is. It's worse to have an ostensible investigation and come out with a statement by the regulator saying we don't find cause here, then nothing at all. And to me, that's, that's what really gets my blood boiling. What, you know, and I think we, we touched on this earlier that it, it, in, it emboldens employers, but there's another, there's another regulator, if you will, it, it's, 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 it's a new program. It's not really a regulator. It's a program within the Office of the Attorney General here in Florida. It's unique to Florida because it's unique to the November 19th, 2021 legislation. And that has now been superseded by um, SB 252. But the point is that has, that was the legislation in our state that told employers you may not um, you may not enforce COVID vaccine mandates in a term, you know, man, uh, jab or job sort of situation. Um, That was across the board for public employers. It was um, within certain restrictions for private employers, namely that it was a shall issue exemption um, statute. You had five particular options that in Florida, natural immunity. So if you could show a lab test indicating that you had had COVID, uh, I think that you had to have a lab test. Anyways, the, the um, religious uh, uh, pregnancy, so not a specific disability, but specific to pregnancy, um, medical, uh, so, you know, sort of within that medical or, or um, uh, less than what the ADA might require. And um, I want to say there was one that I mentioned religious. Anyways, there's five of them that were under the statute. So under that statute, there's no private right of action. You could not go after, uh, you know, none of my clients could go and, and cite this law in their cases to say there's a violation. So instead, there is a program, the Private Employer Vaccine Mandate Program, 
that was set up in the office of the attorney general. And I say all that to say, I started to see something was going amiss because no one that I knew, and my caseload has been stacked with these cases since 2021, no one that I knew of and no one calling me who was not my client, but telling me what was happening, no intakes that I had, no one was getting past um, a finding of a violation of that law. And I thought, well, that's nonsense because I wouldn't have cases right now. My caseload would be, you know, 50%, 70% less if people were not being fired because of COVID mandates, notwithstanding the law. And so uh, I have a couple of instances where, for example, I think I mentioned this on another segment we have, but one of my Disney clients had, you know, and I encouraged everybody because I thought this is the right thing to do. Send your complaints to all the appropriate agencies that we can. Let's get, it, it's, it's, it's a volume question, right? And it's also a, a record. Now I regret it because now the record is that all of these people are getting letters from the attorney general's office saying that their employer didn't violate the law. It's worse than nothing. And I am appalled by this. And I know that there's a problem because when I saw the letters coming back, one of them in particular was my client. We were already going to go into court. And so I didn't make hay about it, but he was fired. I think he, he, he messed up his timing maybe a little bit. And that, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to take that on because I said, go ahead and file it here. I think he was within days. He was probably already suspended. And then he filed at the PEVMP and Shoot, let's see, July, August, three months later, a four page report comes out saying, well, we didn't find a violation of the law because we didn't find that he was actually terminated. You had 90 days to investigate this and he was actually terminated. But in those 90 days, they didn't do an investigation to find out he was actually separated from his job. So Rachel, you said something even more stunning, I think. You said that in spite of the new law in Florida, that people are getting letters from the attorney general saying their employers didn't violate the law in spite of the fact that there is a new law in Florida that gives shall issue exemption on five big criteria that almost anyone could meet, actually. That's the idea, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it was not a terrible law as far as that's concerned. I thought that it would it could cover pretty well. But I have a client right now. I've sued Morgan. And, well, I haven't, excuse me, I haven't sued Morgan and Morgan. I filed an FCHR complaint. When I found out FCHR was denying every single COVID case that was going through it, I withdrew three of my clients and I sent them to the EEOC. Now I find out the EEOC is denying pretty much all the COVID cases, but at least it's not a gatekeeper. At least I get a right to sue from the EEOC. So that's what I've done. I found out, um, you know, so that was definitely a firing based on a COVID mandate, but it's a big law firm. And I, and I just found out actually, John Morgan was in the shot where Hunter Biden, what was that state, state dinner they were all at right after Hunter's, you know, I guess was let off the hook easy or something. John Morgan's right there, right next to Hunter Biden. So I'm thinking, well, maybe that's uh, maybe that's what's going on here. But 
the fact of the matter is, you know, that's, that is a case where it's very obvious. My client was being told you need to leave because you're not vaccinated. You need to leave. We don't want you here. And then they made up a pretext and they, they this is a firm, by the way, that engages, you know, that does cases of, of uh, employment law violations. Um, and um, I just got a letter back from the PEVMP, um, that program that said, well, you know, the employer said they had completely other reasons for firing him. I'm like, did you not investigate these reasons? They're completely pretextual. They don't, they, their evidence doesn't even make sense. Okay. Um, so they, they well, let, in the, the employers. yeah, go ahead. In the time we have left, let's, let's see what Jim and Warner have to, to say about what you've encountered in Florida and what are some comments and action steps that we want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, go ahead, Jim. You go I, Warner, I was just going to say the same to you. Okay. Um, well, I, I mean, I can comment a little bit, and, and you can play you know, feed off of this maybe a little bit. I, I mean, I, you know, obviously we're in, you know, I, I as a young person, I loved Franz Kafka and read, uh, you know, those books. And we're certainly in a Kafkaesque environment if you've ever read, uh, you know, The Castle or any of the Franz Kafka books. Um but, you know, we are, you know, we are trying to do some stuff here in Ohio, and we did get a constitutional amendment approved for at least circulation uh, for signatures. And I wrote it. Uh, it just says no law, rule, regulation, person, employer, entity, or healthcare provider shall require, mandate, or coerce any person to receive or use any medical procedure, treatment, injection, vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> or discriminate against anybody. So, you know, we are circulating that presently. I, I hope that that will gain steam as people understand how broken the system is. Uh, but that's one of the things we're trying to do as an action step, Dr. Lee. That's very encouraging and more. And, you know, all of the people listening to this, you need to get active in your local state at the state level, community, city level start pushing for this type of legislation to protect people's rights we cannot depend on the federal agencies there is no one coming to rescue us the federal agencies are weaponized against the people you've just heard massive examples of that today you've been hearing it on every whistleblower show we've been doing hospital homicides decimating the military, courts of law dismissing cases without ruling on law, EEOC violations, FAA violations. It doesn't stop. We, the people, are the ones who need to stand against this evil, and you can't wait for someone else to come and rescue you. And I'll put out a call for all of the good people working with these agencies we need you to come forward as whistleblowers. You've got attorneys. You've got our organization. We can sign confidentiality agreements. The attorneys can file legal protections for you. We need you to come forward and provide the documentation of these horrific abuses. This is worse than the Soviet Union and communist China, what's happening in the United States of America. Okay, Jim, 
closing comment quickly. Yeah. Well, I, I have spent the better part of the last year or so trying to educate doctors, healthcare providers, um, clients um, about how you should not trust government in this day and age, how you should not willy-nilly believe everything that the CDC says or the FDA. Um, you know, and I always tell everybody, if you want to see how big pharma controls the world right now, watch Hulu and Dope Sick with Michael Keaton, and you will see how right now we are in a situation where people don't even understand that they took an experimental vaccine that was never fully approved by the FDA. And my understanding of the experimental use statute says that you have the absolute right to accept or reject that vaccination and to do so without consequence. That's exactly so. right. And I want <laughs> to emphasize that as we wrap up today, we will have all three of you back. There is lots to discuss about the human and civil rights and constitutional rights being abused. This is Dr. Lee for America with the Whistleblower Report. Check us out at truthforhealth.org. Download our legal and medical resources. Download our vaccine injury treatment guide. And speak out. Sign up for our crusade. We are silent no more. And if all of you working for these agencies remain silent, you are part of the problem. We need you to speak out and become a member of our whistleblower team. We'll be back again tomorrow with another whistleblower report.